Welcome to the Charleston School of Law podcast. I'm your host, John Struble. You can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or listen to our streaming episodes online at charlestonlaw.edu slash podcast. Professor Kevin Eberly is our guest today, and while law may creep into our discussion a little bit, the larger subject matter, I think, here, Kevin, is the intersection of history and historic preservation in what you're doing um, outside the law school. So first, let me just welcome you to the podcast, and then we'll dig in. Thank you very much. It's nice to be here. Bring us back to about, oh, maybe a year ago. Your story begins. You're at a Board of Architectural Review. Yes. There's a house out there. Five Shepherd Street is our That's subject right. matter. So when I moved to Charleston, largely in the area that I had uh, been raised in, um, I bought an old house in downtown Charleston. And I've always been very interested in old buildings and history and that kind of thing. Any time that there is a project in the uptown, which is sort of where the law school is more or less, mm-hmm. Any time that there is an application to demolish an historic building, it goes to the city's Board of Architectural Review. I tend to go and speak about those projects. And so last year in July, there was an application to demolish a house at 5 Shepherd Street. The owner didn't know anything about the building, so I did a lot of research into the building the people who had lived there, the entire story, went to the Board of Architectural Review and opposed the demolition. And happily, the board said, you can't demolish the building. And I found myself happy that that had occurred, but a little disappointed knowing that the owner was in all likelihood just going to let it rot and Uh. fall apart. Um, I ended up convincing myself that I should put my money where my mouth is as somebody who has for years and years and years gone to these uh, board meetings, spoken about projects, I decided I was the perfect person to step in and actually restore that house. So I, long story short, I got in touch with the owner, ended up buying the house and have spent almost this entire year, 2022, with the um, architects and the city permitting and contractors and subcontractors and all of that. And we're finally, I believe, getting it to start in about a month. Get started on the restorational house. As you said, you've never done this before. So when you stepped up to say, I'll buy this house... Was there some anxiety there or, or stress as to like, what am I getting into? <laughs> There's a lot of anxiety about it. There's a lot of anxiety about it now. Yeah. Um, I bought an old house in town um, when I finished law school and moved back to Charleston. But my own house, not nearly in the sad condition that the house on Shepherd Street is. Yeah. Um, it's an old house and everything needed cosmetic work. But... There were no structural issues or anything like that. And I can do a lot of work myself, self-taught, you know, a lot of the repairs, but not not repairing a foundation or something like that or installing a heating and air system or something like that. And so 
a lot of it is going to be sort of just figuring out as I go. <laughs> yeah, one step at a time. <laughs> right. Stay in the moment, right. kind of, <laughs> and, and work through that process. Right. How much did you know about that specific location, 5 Shepherd Street, the house you bought, when you went to the architectural board? Did you know what its condition was, or did you just know this is a historic location or potentially has that yeah, a little bit of both. So to prepare for the meeting, um, because the owner had not done any research into the building, I did a lot of research into the house itself and wrote actually a, a pretty thorough report that I shared with the members of the board and the city staff. So as far as the building, I actually knew the story of the house very well. As far as the condition, a little less so. You could look at it from the street and tell that it was not in great condition. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, but I didn't have the benefit of a structural engineer to come by and look at the house or anything like that. Um, I had the chance to go through the house twice before I ended up buying it. So I was, it's not like I was buying the house sight unseen or anything right. like that. But, um, and it was pretty clear that it, it had some issues. Yeah. How old was this house? You had done the research. Mm -hmm. The house was built in 1873. Wow. So 149 years old. So what's the history of the house? Can you kind of put that in a, a thumbnail sketch Sure, for me? sure. So the uh, property was just outside of an existing neighborhood over on the east side called Hampstead Village. In fact, I think we actually have a lot of students who rent. In that um, area? In, rent in that area, okay. yes. Mm -hmm. That property was sold by a family that had owned a big piece of it. It or at an auction in December of 1872. Andrew Simmons, who was a former slave, actually purchased one of the lots and built the house. He and his family were there by 1873, and his he died not too long after having uh, bought the property and built the house, but his family stayed there well into the 20th century. Mm. Uh, so his grandchildren actually ended up owning and living in the house briefly before they sold it off. But um, it's an interesting house. It's not one of the grand homes that you see on the battery or anything sure. like that, to be sure. It's just a very small, you know, work-a-day but a historic house. But about a 1,000 square feet. About a 1,000 square feet. It was, smaller. Mm -hmm. It started off as two rooms. That was it, two rooms. And in 1895, had two rooms added on to it. Okay. And the plan is to go back to its appearance in 1895 when those extra rooms were added on. So it's going to be four basic rooms, two wow. bedrooms, a kitchen slash dining room and a living room. It's going to be, well, obviously bathrooms. Right, but modest. <laughs> yes, yeah. very. So your intention at that point, when the restoration does come to fruition, 
Will you move in that location? What is your goal for the house? My goal is two things. Number one is I would like to have some sort of extrinsic validation for the quality of the work so that it's not just me saying it was good quality. Um, I would like to receive, for example, a Carolopolis Award, which is one of the awards given for excellence in preservation and restoration by one of the preservation organizations here would be great, but some sort of validation for the work. And second is just to break even on it. Mm. Um, I'm not looking to make a ton of money. My theory is that if you remove the profit margin from an old house that you actually can afford to do good quality work. Um, unlike so many house flippers who come in and sort of pour mouth and say that they have to use bad quality materials or do bad work mm. to make a profit. I, I kind of joke with my friends, hopefully not declare a personal bankruptcy would be the, <laughs> would be the goal. <laughs> if I can achieve those two things, it'll be a success. When I closed on the house, um, I started the long process of just cleaning it out. Just not, you? Just me. Yeah. Me and a rake. And <laughs> it was not, I'm not talking about doing any sort of, you know, demolition of the house or anything like that. Yeah. But just cleaning out the knee deep filth. And it, I'm not talking about like, you know, historic finds or something right. like that. It was garbage that was piled up in the house. And so that took quite a while. And then um, most of this year has been spent, uh, like I said earlier, dealing with contractors and subcontractors, getting bids from different people, city permitting, which is a long process in the best scenario. Uh, working with the architect and coming up with, you know, the before and after sort of plans. So all of that has taken far longer than I expected. Mm. Kevin Eberly is our guest on the Charleston School of Law podcast. As you could tell, we're not talking a lot about law, but we're talking about <laughs> components of this definitely uh, are influenced by the law and what you can and cannot do. Mm -hmm. So Will anybody have the opportunity to stay there or are you just going to restore and keep it as a standalone house? So the plan had been that I was simply going to buy the house, restore it, and then, like I said, sell it just to break even, not yeah. looking to make a, a bunch of money. There's a few tax credit programs that can contribute toward the cost of doing a restoration. The only one that this house qualifies for, for a lot of reasons, um, is for abandoned property restoration or reclamation, really, uh, through the state. And so the state tax program is surprisingly generous. It's only chargeable against your state income tax. And so... My state income tax is not nearly enough to use up the entire credit. Um, so I'm going to carry that for five years, which is what you're allowed to do. And once I finish taking advantage of it for five years, then look to sell the house. But in the meantime, use it as a rental. 
are there residential houses within pretty close proximity to this location? And how, what has the response been if there is? Uh, the house is entirely surrounded by residential um, locations. And I've been very fortunate as I've been working out in the yard and, you know, just doing maintenance and that kind of stuff to meet many of the neighbors mm. um, who just stopped by to visit and, and introduce themselves. And needless to say that they are all thrilled to have work done to this house because mm. it's been an eyesore for quite some time. So everybody is thrilled um, to have the the work done. Everybody's been very you have an interest, obviously, in general, in historic locations and preservation. What's the root of that, Kevin? I've always been interested in history and especially historic architecture. And I'm not really totally sure what accounts for it. Uh, my parents um, have always had that sort of interest, so I guess I got part of it from them. Growing up, I just, you know, lived in a normal, you know, contemporary house. Um, I went off to college in, in Williamsburg, Virginia at William and Mary, which, of course, is an historic yeah. Um, campus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, so that, you know, was my introduction, I guess, to actually interacting on a day-to-day -day basis with historic buildings but I've always been very interested in it. And when I came back to Charleston after law school, I was on the uh, board of directors with the Preservation Society, and I still do a lot of work with them and several of the other preservation organizations. Um, but I'm not really totally sure how I ever got started hmm. in it. <laughs> it's, um, I I'm interested the Charleston the architectural review, you said you would show up there when there would be a house that was, and this happens, I, I'm assuming pretty regularly, they go through a process of this sort. They're yes. probably going to be happy to have Kevin Eberly out of their hair at this point. Right. Now we've got him distracted with this house. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the joke had been that thankfully I'm not having to demolish the house, yes. but um, the joke was that Man, if ever I had to do anything that was going to raise any possible objection <laughs> and had to appear myself in the <laughs> Board of Architectural Review, it would have to be a special meeting because the number of people who I have, you know, alienated over the 20 years would be stretched out the door. <laughs> Through this process, there's been there has to be a huge learning curve about what it takes to restore even a small little cottage house like this. What would have been some of those bigger lessons for you as you look over it? I will tell you the single most shocking news to me, and I can't believe that this has been shocking to me, but when I bought the house and I signed the contract last December, so December of 21. Okay. Closed in January of this year, January of 22, and this is even embarrassing to even say, but <laughs> I really fully expected close in January, get the plans and everything done in February, 
get the permitting done in March, get started in April, May, June, maybe July, work, August, punch list, and finish it up. How's and that working out for you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so here we are now looking at a December beginning. So Wow. And that's really been the most surprising thing. I really expected this to be a lot faster than than it has been. That has been... That's been the biggest surprise. Well, you already had an appreciation for historical preservation, but that this probably really deepens that and and gives you deeper respect for what it takes because some people buy much larger places and invest a ton of money mm-hmm. with maybe different motivations. Yeah. Um, I mean, like we said earlier, the house is relatively small. Yeah. You know, one-story, 1,000-square-foot um, so I can only imagine some of the people who undertake entire house, like big house um, restoration projects, would be tough. Do you see yourself doing this again? Whew. I know there's a Whew. lot. There's a lot of work to be done. I, I don't know. <laughs> but do you see yourself it's, if the opportunity presents itself? Sure. If everything worked out and. It ends up, like I said, just breaking even. I would consider doing it again. Yeah. I mean, it's been exciting and I hate to say fun, but it's been interesting and I wouldn't mind doing it again if the right project came along. But um, one, of the, one of the things about this house was because it was so small, um, it could be had relatively cheap. Yes. You know, I think that I might leave to other people, you know, some of these big house type restoration projects. So can I assume we're going to have an open house when it's all done and we can all be invited? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) Well, one, congratulations on on all the work you're doing. And thank you for the work you're doing uh, historically for Charleston as well, because the more we do of that, the more we maintain our historical connections, I think the more we become a signature area in the country where people want to travel to and see some of these places. That's right. And especially the neighborhood that this house is in. If people have ever been to Charleston, I'm going to guess have probably never ventured through this neighborhood. Yeah. Um, not because it's not historic. It is historic. It it doesn't really compare to the south of Broad area yes. and the Battery and Rainbow Row and all of that. I think it'll be nice to see more restorations right. sort of on the frontier. And it could inspire other people to do the same. Sure. And jump in at a relatively modest cost and do something well for the community as sure. well. So. Professor Kevin Eberly, thank you so much for coming on the Charleston sure. School of Law podcast. Sure, we'll, absolutely. We'll, you keep us posted and we'll be looking for that open house invite. <laughs> sure, 2025. <laughs> it's in the cards. Oh, wow. <laughs> I hope I'm still around for that. <laughs> Charleston School of Law podcast, you can listen on iTunes, Spotify, or on our website at charlestonlaw.edu slash podcast. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks. Thanks.